church. It's, it's a privilege to be back on the pulpit. It's been a while, and I'm excited to bring the word this morning to you. Um, coming out of the month of November, we declared the month of wisdom, and we read the book of Proverbs. Many of you read it with us, and um, there were certain verses that I could have stayed on for days because it's got so much wisdom, so much insight, so much counsel. And I'm gonna go back to the beginning of Proverbs and read again, because it has instruction for godly principles or godly living, correct? Everything we need for life, whether it be in relationships, in business, whether it be in friendships, in marriage, in raising children, it's found here. So much counsel, so much instruction, and so I encourage you to go back and to read again. And one of the major requirements that we find in the book of Proverbs is for godly living is the fear of the Lord. You got that theme, it came over and over and over again, repeated so many times in the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the starting point. That word beginning actually refers to a priority of position. So it's from the very beginning. It's the starting point. I would say that we would become wise when we give God the position of priority in our life. The starting point of everything I say, everything I do, my thoughts, my actions, my behavior, the fear of God is my starting point. Then we will become wise. I would paraphrase it like this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. Full stop. It's the beginning. John Bunyan says it like this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and they that lack the beginning have neither middle nor end. Say it again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and they that lack the beginning have neither middle nor end. Powerful statement. But church, the reality is, is oftentimes this topic of the fear of the Lord is avoided. It's not preached from the pulpit. It's in fact not even spoken about in Christian circles. And I guess it's because at times it almost feels contradictory with all respect. The Lord says, do not fear. Do not have a spirit of fear. And yet he says, fear the Lord. So at times it feels like it could be contradictory and at times there's almost a sense of maybe ignorance or, or misunderstanding to this and so we just sidestep it, we avoid it. But I do believe a lot of the time it's not spoken because where the fear of God is it addresses sin, correct? And we're living in a culture and a time where sin is no longer called sin, it's called preference. We've seen generations depart from the knowledge of God and from the fear of God. 
And you can say amen if you agree with this, but we have a culture that is irreverent, arrogant, and casual to the things of God. Church, some time ago I had a dream, and I won't go into detail, but I feel it's relevant to just briefly mention. I, I had a dream, and as I woke up from this dream, I, I remember running to my lounge and falling before the Lord and trembling and crying before Him because this, this dream was vivid, and I knew God was speaking clearly in this dream. And what happened was, in this dream, I saw our church. I saw the body of Christ, and I saw the enemy gaining ground as he started to prey on our people but as some of our people identified the enemy and saw him they were able to move and step out of his danger but then i saw the enemy change direction shift focus and he started going after our children and our youth And in this dream, I started crying out to our youth to be cautious, to be alert, to be vigilant. And as I did this, our youth were having fun and there was a lot of games. And as I started crying out, there was a mocking spirit that arose and it contended against me. And as I woke up, I asked the Lord, God, what are you saying? What are you saying through this dream? And the Lord clearly said to me, the fear of God has departed. Church, we are not here to cooperate with the forces of hell. We're here to contend against them. And I want to encourage us today that we start to contend for our children and our youth and our own souls and we return to the fear of God that is my heart today if we do not cultivate a culture that fears God we will embrace one that departs from him and somehow church we've come to a place where we think that we can manage God that we can control him and we can dictate and almost manipulate him and I love Job chapter 38. It's a profound chapter. But God says to Job, Job, prepare yourself as a man. I want you to visualize this. Prepare yourself as a man. I'm God. I'm going to ask you some questions and you will answer. Listen, church, you and I will one day answer. We will stand before God and give an account. And he says to Job, I love this. Job, were you there when I laid the foundation? Can you tell me how it was established and all its measurements? Tell me, Job, have you, were you there when I said to the sea, stop here, no further? Job, have you walked through the treasury of snow? And have you walked through the treasury of hail that I've reserved for the day of judgment? Wow. Do the lightnings come to you and ask, where should we go? And do you get the wild ox to bed at your manger? What a chapter. And here, church, when we read this, it suddenly put things into perspective, doesn't it? 
who is God and who am I? Who is the created one and who is the creator? And sometimes when we read a chapter like that, we almost feel like we need to explain it or like sugarcoat it, isn't it? You almost want to apologize for the power and the majesty of God. And then we, what we find is we don't want people to feel uncomfortable with their sin, or better yet, we don't want to feel uncomfortable about sin. And so I find scriptures of grace. And I create a doctrine around these few scriptures. You see, the problem is, is the church has suffered from the gospel of cheap grace. Grace is free, but it is not cheap. And the problem is people will take what is free. They'll accept Jesus as Savior because it's free, but they will not accept Him as Lord because it's going to cost you something. And then we find ourselves when we're being challenged, we find ourselves saying, well, it's not really the fear of God. It's more like just a respect. Let's just respect Him. But church, when I read the word, that's not what it says. The Bible is a full character description of a holy God, a sovereign God, a majestic God, a just judge. Correct? When you see Isaiah in chapter 6, he encounters the holiness of God and he falls down and his only response is, woe is me, for I am undone. Then you have John the Beloved, and he gives a description of what he sees when he encounters the Lord. Maybe can I ask everyone to close your eyes? I want to read his description, and I want your imagination to start going as he describes the throne and seeing the Lord. In Revelations chapter 1, it says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. You can open your eyes. Somehow we think we can approach God with a casualness. But church, I want to say today, you and I, every one of us, will respond in like manner when we see Jesus. We too will fall at his feet and cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
To know God is to know all facets of Him, all qualities. We cannot have one without the other. I remember growing up in a home where there was discipline, there was rules, there was consequence, but there was great love. My dad, for those of you who know him, was a no-nonsense man. He's still a no-nonsense man. And we as children knew what would be acceptable to our father and what would not be. We knew what would be tolerated in our home and what would not be tolerated. But I remember there was no gray areas when it came to godly living. No gray areas. But I would watch my dad, how he loved us deeply and how he always gave of his best for his family. You see, growing up, I needed the discipline with the love. If I did not have both, it would have caused some kind of dysfunction, damage, insecurity, instability. I needed to know where I stood. I needed the discipline, but I needed the love. Proverbs 13 verse 24 will come up on the screen. It says, he who spares his rod hates his son. Let me say that again. Dads, moms, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him. It was because I was secure in my father's love that when he disciplined me, I understood it was a demonstration of love. Correct? Because I was secure in my dad's love, when he disciplined me, I understood it was a motivation of love. Why? Because he was pulling me back and repositioning me back onto a path that would lead to life. He kept repositioning. Now, as a mother, one of the most painful things I have to do is discipline my girls. Parents, can I get an amen? It is hard to discipline your children. It's painful, but because I love them, I correct them. Because I reposition them back onto the pathway that leads to life. The problem is, we have been deceived to believe that God's wrath and His discipline and His correction and His rebuke, His holiness, is because He's an angry God waiting to punish us. It's a lie. And many people have embraced this as truth. They believe that God is just waiting to deal with them, to sort them out, to judge them, to be harsh on them. It is the furthest thing from the truth. It's because of His love for us that He keeps repositioning us back onto a path that leads to life. He's motivated by love because He is love. I, I want to give an illustration of a fire. When we teach our children how to use fire, what is the common statement? Do not play with fire or you'll get burned. You see, we have to teach our children the safety of it, but also the benefit of it. 
We cannot do one without the other. If I only tell my children about the risk of fire, they never get to enjoy the benefit. But if I only teach them about the fun bit, like brying marshmallows and having fun, what we'll find is them running around the campfire, falling in and getting hurt. So what do I do? I teach both aspects so that they can get to enjoy the fire, knowing its potential, but being safe and protected. Getting to enjoy brying the marshmallows, having an atmosphere around the bonfire, brying a piece of voice through off, you know, all those fun things. We get to enjoy it whilst remaining safe. Until I get to see the holiness and the glory and the power and the majesty of God, I will never stand in awe that He says He loves me. That He's slow to anger rich in mercy, full of compassion, long-suffering, kind and tender. I will never get that, and I will never fully appreciate it. Until I comprehend the wrath of God outside of Christ, I will never fully comprehend the grace and mercy in Christ. But I need to know both. I need to understand both to fully comprehend the God that I serve. The fear of God is not the cowering away from Him. In fact, it's the running to Him. I'm going to explain that to you. Being afraid of God is not the same as the fear of God. Being afraid causes us to stand far off and to run away from, whereas the fear of God causes us to run to Him. Exodus chapter 20, verses 18. Have we got it up? Exodus 20:18. Here the Israelites have come out of the Exodus, out of Egypt, they're in the wilderness. Listen what happens. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. They said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. Listen, these guys are standing watching a demonstration of the power of God. They're seeing it for themselves and they're saying, we're going to stand afar off and you speak on our behalf. That's what fear does, the being afraid, terror. But listen to what Moses says, it's beautiful. And Moses said to the people, do not fear. For God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you. Do not fear, for his fear will be before you so that you may not sin. Listen to what happens. So the people stood afar off. But Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. You see, when we're afraid, it causes us to draw back and to stand afar off. But when we fear the Lord, it brings us into intimacy. It brings us closer to Him. It results in intimacy. Moses says, do not fear. And then he says, 
The fear of God will be before you so that you do not sin. Why? Because God knows that sin separates us from Him. And He will do everything He can to preserve intimacy, to keep us close, to keep us near. And so He says, I'm putting my fear in front of you so that we can preserve this oneness, this unity. Proverbs 3 7 says, The fear, it says, Fear the Lord and depart from evil. I think we could measure our fear for the Lord by our response to sin. Correct? Because Proverbs 18, 13 says, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. The fear of the Lord causes a man and a woman to struggle with sin. To struggle with sin. John Brevere says it like this, probably one of the most profound statements when it comes to the fear of the Lord that I've heard. It says, the fear of the Lord is not being afraid of Him. It is the fear of being away from Him. Can I say that again? The fear of the Lord is not being afraid of Him. It's being afraid of being away from Him. In other words... Anything that has the potential to cause me to be away from him is the very thing I should be fleeing from. We need to continuously be asking ourselves the question, will this decision, this relationship, this business deal, will it bring me closer to him or will it cause me to be draw away from him? That's the fear of the Lord. This is acquiring knowledge. Knowledge is information, it's facts. So when we want the right answers, we need to ask the correct questions. Correct? Proverbs 1.29 says, because they hated knowledge. Can I say, many of us today are sitting in situations that if we look back on our life, we knew at the time it was wrong. We knew it. We just didn't want to ask the right questions because we knew what we needed to hear. We just didn't want to hear it. And so we hated knowledge. We shied away from knowledge. And this scripture says, because they hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. It's a choice. You see, when I ask the right questions and I've acquired knowledge, wisdom is the application of knowledge. So I can ask the question, will this business deal bring me closer to God or lead me away from Him. I get the knowledge. I have the answer. I know what I should do. Wisdom is application. Wisdom is me saying, I choose the fear of the Lord. But this scripture says, because they hated knowledge and because they did not choose the fear of the Lord. One of the most sobering verses I've read in this month. Listen to what it says. They shall eat the fruit of their own way. They shall eat the fruit of their own way. Fear of the Lord is a choice. I want to ask the, the media team, can you guys just put up the image of that pathway? If we've got it there. Okay. So I specifically chose this image this week because you see it's a pathway with a big shining light at the end. You see, all of us have been given a choice. Scripture says life or death is put before you, choose life. As we choose to walk on a pathway that would lead us 
closer to the Lord. I need to keep the fear of the Lord in front of me. See, that light was in front of us. I keep the fear of the Lord in front of me. I choose the fear of the Lord. And I start to walk circumspectly. I start to measure every step. I start, I start to measure every step. I start to ask God, Lord, is this the right decision? Is this honoring you? Is this going to draw me closer to you, Lord? Is this going to pull me away from you? And I start to keep the fear of the Lord in front of me because what I fear the most is being apart from Him. And I keep it in front of me. And slowly but surely, I start to gain knowledge and wisdom. And I'm on a pathway that leads unto life. A couple of months back, we were driving back from Durban. And as we drove on the highway, I saw a, it was a beautiful like green pasture. And there was a massive house right on the top of this, this slope, this hill. Magnificent house. But church, what I saw shocked me because there were squatters that had literally encamped this house. I don't know how they would have even got out, got, got out of their home. It was completely around. In fact, they used the boundary wall of this mansion to build part of their own shacks, the, the structure. And as we were driving... I sense the Lord say, that's how many of my children are living. Christ. But we have allowed things to come and squat in our life. Let me tell you something. All those squatters didn't just arrive on the same day. They came one at a time. One at a time. One at a time. And if we don't evict them, they start to take up occupancy and finally they have ownership. Correct? So what happens is we go through life and we're on this pathway and we have the fear of the Lord and now I've got some choices to make. One desire at a time. One potential compromise at a time. One word of gossip at a time. One bad decision at a time. And if I don't take heed and I don't ask the Lord, what do I do in this situation? I slowly but surely have one squatter pulling in at a time. And all of a sudden, I'm encamped by these thoughts and this behavior and the sin. If we do not evict them, they will take ownership. And what starts to happen, church, is we start to justify our sin. We are all guilty. I'm guilty of that. Let me say, I just want to quickly say this message. I'm not preaching to you today. God has dealt with me this week. Because there's areas in my life where I need to get right. I haven't arrived. This has been one of the most challenging messages that I've had to prepare. I said to Ryan this week, this has been so hard for me because God's been dealing with me. But what happens is we start to justify our behavior. Well, I said that because they did that. I took that because this happened. And we start to justify. Then we move to a place where we start to tolerate. Doesn't shock us anymore. Have you seen how sin doesn't shock us anymore? Doesn't shock us. Now I move to a place of tolerating sin. And finally I get to a place where I've embraced it. And instead of us fleeing from sin, we flirt with it. And we wonder why our lives are in a mess. I've heard men ask a question, how far can I go before it's adultery? Is it a coffee at the office? Is it an innocent message to each other? 
Is it meeting or staying late? I mean, how far does it go until it's adultery? Or we have our young people asking, how far can I go with my boyfriend or my girlfriend before it's sexual sin? Like first base, second base, I don't know, like how far can I go? How many swear words must there be in a song until it's rated explicit and I choose not to listen to it? And what we find is we keep asking the question, how close can I get to sin? When my question should be, how close can I get to God so I do not sin? James 1.15 says, Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when it is full grown, it brings forth death. It starts with desire. Church, as we are walking on this pathway, you better believe the enemy is going to bring temptation. He's going to bring offense. He's going to bring conflict. He's going to bring disappointment. And as we walk on this pathway of life, we need to keep the fear of the Lord in front of us. If we don't, we start to divert. And slowly but surely what happens is I'm walking on this path and I have a decision to make and it's desire. You see, it says when desire is conceived, conception can only take place when there's intimacy. So what it means is desire is conceived when I have a friendship with or a familiarity with this thing. And now desire is conceived. There's the pathway. And then it gives birth to sin. Now I'm walking on this pathway. And when sin is fully birth or fully grown, it brings forth death. What happens is I'm so far down this path, I'm so far off from where I'm supposed to be. I'm standing so far away that I stand afraid, not knowing how do I get back? How do I get back to God? Because I did not keep the fear of the Lord in front of me at all times. There's going to be times when you're walking on this path and God says, I want you to give something up. It's going to cost you. Think about Abraham. Abraham gets told, go lay your son on the altar. And he goes and he prepares the altar and he does everything. But listen to what it says. As he's about to put, to, to kill his son, the angel of the Lord stops him and says, now I know that you fear the Lord. Why? Because the fear of the Lord will always produce obedience. So when he starts to ask stuff of me, as hard as it may be, my response will always be, is this thing bringing me closer to him or is it pulling me away from him? So I've got to keep the fear of the Lord in front of me. You see, church, what we could do, we can set limits on our phones. We can put these restrictions on all our devices so that we don't look at the wrong stuff. We can have connect group leaders, counselors, pastors, youth leaders, children's church teachers keeping us accountable. And that's all good. And it's necessary. But truth is, we can sidestep those things if we really want. Where there's a will, there's a way. If we do not cultivate a culture of the fear of God, all that we will be busy with is behavior management. 
I've often asked the question, how do we get our young, our young people, our youth, to choose to remain pure? It baffles my mind, because I know there's hormones, there's all these amazing things. <laughs> and I wonder, how do we get them to a place of choosing to remain pure? The answer is the fear of God. Because if they don't have that, mom and dad will be chaperoning everywhere they go. Mom and dad will be making sure we sit in the lounge when they're together. Mom and dad will be checking every message that they send to each other. If our children do not have the fear of God, all we will be doing is behavior management. And I want to speak to our young people that are here today. I am begging you to return to the fear of God. Listen, education makes you clever. It doesn't make you wise. Stop trying to be clever. Be wise. And I don't have anything against education. My daughter's just matriculated, and she worked really hard. And we supported her because I said to her, hard work at school teaches you discipline for the rest of your life. So work hard. I'm not against education. But if all we're trying to attain is knowledge, we become puffed up. Wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. So I want to say to our youth, when your parents start telling you, do not keep company with certain friends, don't roll your eyes at them. Because Proverbs 13, 20 says, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. When they tell you to be dedicated in your schoolwork, as I said with my daughter, I know it's setting her up to be committed in all areas of her life. When we tell you don't watch certain movies, don't listen to certain music because the eyes and the ears are the gateway to your soul. So preserve your heart because out of it flows all issues of life. Don't roll your eyes. Choose to be wise, not to be clever. When we say read your Bible, it's not a religious act. It's because we understand that as you fill yourself with the knowledge of God and His ways, at some point you're going to choose to walk in them. Whether you like it or agree with it, the word says, honor your parents. He rewards. It says, honor your parents so that it may be well. Let me tell you something. Your parents won't get it right all of the time. But when you choose to honor, God will reward. Proverbs, um, I think it's 1.8, says that the instruction of parents is like a crown on our children's head and a, neck, and a chain around their neck. A parental instruction actually enhances and increases the attractiveness of your children. So parents, raise your children in the fear of God. Set a standard for your family. Be determined that as for my house, we will serve the Lord. Don't be shy about those things. I want to say to everyone here today, Proverbs 8.35, whoever finds wisdom finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. The fear of the Lord produces the wisdom of the Lord and the wisdom of the Lord produces the blessings of the Lord. We need to choose the fear of the Lord to every one of us sitting here today. 
let's not try to just be clever. Let's choose to be wise. Let's keep the fear of the Lord in front of us. It is a choice. And if anything you take away today, if you could take away that as I walk this pathway, will it lead me closer to the Lord or will it lead me away from Him? Is it bringing me into intimacy with Him or is it causing me to stand afar off? And let the fear of the Lord be the guiding light, the measuring stick, whereby we measure our ways and we walk in the ways of the Lord. Can I ask everyone to close their eyes? I'm going to start closing off. Andre, could you maybe just come up and just play for me softly? Church, like I said, this week I've been so challenged in this word for my own life. I'm going to just ask that everyone's eyes are closed. And I'm going to go through a few things that maybe we need to repent of in our lives. Maybe sitting here today, you recognize that actually, I haven't really kept the fear of the Lord in front of me. And if that speaks to you, and this is not about embarrassing anyone, because I, I can tell you this week I stood for a few of them. <laughs> but as you feel challenged this morning... I'm going to ask you to just stand as I read certain things and we're going to just pray a general prayer at the end. So I want to ask if there's been times that you felt like you could manage and dictate to God. Would you stand? If you've tried to downplay his holiness to accommodate your sin or the sin of others, would you stand? where you've overemphasized grace in your life and you've used it as permission for sin, would you stand? Where you have disregarded the discipline or the instruction, the counsel of the Lord, whether it was through the word, whether it was through a sermon, whether it was through a counseling session where leadership, leadership kept you accountable, if you disregarded this, would you stand? If there's been times in your life where you've wanted his blessings but not his discipline, would you stand? Where there's been a moment in your life where you hated knowledge and you did not choose the fear of the Lord. You knew you were making a mistake but you chose to go down that path and now you're angry with God. You're blaming him for your state. Would you stand? where you've justified sin, you've tolerated it, and now you're actually embracing sin in your life, would you stand? Where you've allowed squatters or sin to start taking occupancy and ownership of your life, stand. Where you've dishonored the instruction of your parents, stand. There's more of you youngsters that need to stand for that. And I'll wait for you. Because until we start getting serious about this, we're going nowhere. 
You did not keep the fear of the Lord in front of you, whether it was knowing or unknowingly. Would you stand? And then today, if you say, I want to choose the fear of the Lord, would you stand? Proverbs 14 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. Luke 1, And His mercy is for those who fear Him. Proverbs 14, In the fear of the Lord is confidence, and His children will have refuge. Fear, of the, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, today we ask for mercy. God, we repent today of our sin. Of everyone named and identified this morning, Lord, we bring it before your throne. We ask for your mercy. We ask for your mercy. We pray your forgiveness, Lord. And then, Lord, today we ask that you would put your fear before us. God, today, this day marks the day that we choose the fear of the Lord. That it will be our standard all the days of our life. We give you thanks today, Lord, that it will be a pathway that leads to life. Thank you that it is out of your love for us that you continuously reposition us back onto this pathway. We receive your love today, Lord. We honor you this day. We glorify you. We give you a position of priority in our lives this day. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, church.